0: Welcome to the podcast of The Urban Mystic. Today we're joined by our second guest, Rory Randall, in this mini-series on open and relational theology. Rory was really generous in giving us so much of his time for us to explore so many different avenues. We start by looking at some of his earliest experiences of God and he tells us some of his life story as those two interweave then he shares some pointers around open and relational theology, some points of understanding, some handles with which we can better understand what is this theology and what is it trying to put forward. And then uh, it's a long episode, but it's really worth hanging on to to the end because there's some really fascinating dialogue around Rory's actual sort of current day experiences of God and some of the practicalities, and we unpack a little bit about what does that actually mean Uh, that for me if i can be honest was was really was a culmination of this conversation between tim and myself and rory was being able to get into some of those so i really hope you enjoy it um and let's move on to the conversation with tim rory and myself enjoy
1: well well um rory thank you so much for joining us uh for this uh, podcast episode i know it's always uh it's always an interesting experience having some random person, you know, do the, the, the internet wave high and say, come, nah. c- come onto this podcast and tell us your, 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 deep life story. So <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it's a bit of a risk and I really value that. And, um, you know, our, our connection really is through Thomas J. Wirtz, who I, you know, we had the wonderful privilege of having him on the, on the podcast earlier this year. And um, yeah, I saw your publication just coming up uh, there and I was like, well, that's right along the lines of where some of my research is going and uh, no, no need to uh, reinvent the wheel when there's someone that's uh, gloriously gone ahead and uh, pioneered it for you in that sense. <laughs> so oh, I, yeah. I, 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 I happily just uh, immediately acquired your work and dived in and uh, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed what I've read and, and just really looking forward to engaging tonight. So thank you very
2: much for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this.
0: Um, so Rory, we're, we're taking a slight tangent at the moment as a podcast and diving a little deeper into open and relational theology, mm-hmm. uh, as was introduced to us by, by Tom Ort, uh a couple of months ago. And so this, this is going to release as a mini miniseries um, mm-hmm. with yourself and a couple of other voices speaking into open and relational theology. But although we're taking a tangent into the mini series, we still are keeping the backbone of a lot of our, our work and our research, and our interest into the areas around personal story, and personal relationships. And so our sort of Trinity paradigm that we run off is relating to God's self and others. And so We'll move um, over time into some of your research and your thinking and your writings around open and relational theology, but would really love to start with some of your story. And specifically, one of the questions that we ask of people uh, who come and have conversations with us is if you would tell us about some of your first experiences of God. And so you know, if you want to give us a, a bit of an intro and a, an idea so you know something the the listeners can hang their hat on to in terms of um, some of who you are perhaps some of your background growing up and then if you are happy to dive into that question of uh, first experiences of god then uh, if that's enough of a direction over to you and uh, yeah looking forward to hearing some of your story
2: oh great so i grew up on the west coast of canada in vancouver with mountains to the north and the Pacific Ocean to the west, kind of just a beautiful place to grow up. And I became a follower of Jesus as a teenager right out of uh, high school, out of a mm. sense of my need of forgiveness. And I was on a hiking trip and one of the guides mentioned uh, that scripture in First John first 9 that says, if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness Mm. and i went around for a a year on a spiritual high knowing i was loved and forgiven by god and had a relationship with him Mm. and then a, a year later i was an apprentice guide in that same hiking program and after a summer in the mountains came home intrigued by what some of the other guides had said about their experience of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And I went to a local Bible bookstore and asked them if they had anything on the Holy Spirit Mm. and just got puzzled looks. Mm. But uh, a friend gave me a bunch of books, uh, incidentally, some of them by uh, a South African, Andrew Murray. Mm. But Mm. uh, one of the books walked me through asking God for more of the Holy Spirit. And Mm. I did receive what the New Testament calls the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spoken tongues and received kind of new power to resist overt, intentional wrongdoing. So that that charismatic or Pentecostal experience has, has really helped define my spiritual formation. You know, I believe that, that God is speaking to us in our thoughts and the Holy Spirit is nudging us in our emotions and conscience. And I I have a story that illustrates that I was working for a small college and had to drive out to the neighboring city of Burnaby to get a printer repaired. And by the time I'd put the printer in the car and was heading home, driving conditions had really deteriorated and the rain was just pelting down and I could barely see what was ahead of me as I was driving. And I was moving with a flow of traffic, when I heard a distinct prompting to stop which I believed was from God, so I applied the brakes pretty convincingly, and <laughs> suddenly a car appeared right in front of me in a dead stop. So had mm-hmm. I not obeyed the prompting, there would have been an accident, and, and it would have been a mess. Mm-hmm. And and the kind of that incident illustrates how I see God often works in the world. He speaks mm-hmm. to those who are attentive, and and he wants to guide and promote uh, well-being. Mm-hmm. And I I'm, I'm sure we'll get in, into this in more detail later, but I. I just like to affirm Mm. that God knows the imminent future. He's, he has a comprehensive knowledge of the present that enables him to see what's going to happen next. And sometimes he intervenes in loving ways to advance his agenda when that wouldn't violate the free will of those who he's given the free, the gift of free will, Mm. you know, I, I think of it this way, like his, his voice is like a radio station that's always broadcasting but we don't tune in most of the time and i mm. do think to be able to sense the prompting of the spirit we have to have kind of made a prior commitment to being open to obey where he leads kind of a predisposition for obedience even mm. if that's not comfortable for us or in our own self interest and and i also should say that hearing the voice of god isn't always simple because you have to examine your motives and presuppositions, and and try to be genuinely open to what he's trying to say. Um, so we have to tune out the static of our own voice, but we also have to identify and reject the false voices that try to lead us astray. But Jesus said his sheep would know his voice. That's John mm. ten. And you know, I just I try mm. to reinforce those initial experiences with uh, several. Daily intentional practices of of spiritual discipline. I I journal, read the scriptures, and I pray with a I pray with a particular pattern. Like I start with just a moment to express my love for God and confession and thanksgiving. Then I listen for God to speak, and then spend some time in supplication.
0: Thanks, Rory. That's uh, yeah. that's a fantastic start. I I get the sense that you've. You've covered um, decades there, and dips. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> in in a couple of minutes, introduction dips that uh, we could spend hours and hours plumbing together. Mm. Um, but I'm I'm interested if 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 I may sort of come back to the earlier parts of your story. You you talk about this hike, and this uh, you know this. This this moment of this of the scripture that's read to you and this understanding that dawns, um, and the year that follows, and then there's the exploration around the Holy Spirit, and then you mm-hmm. talk about, um, you know, the the book that leads you. If I'm paraphrasing badly, please help me. <laughs> you do great. Yeah. <laughs> the the book that leads you um, into mm-hmm. this into this moment of. Uh, in my language, would be, you know, kind of asking for the infilling of the spirit, if, if I yeah. can put it that way, mm. if I'm not missing you. Mm. Um, <clears throat> what's that moment like? Um, is, is there something around there to tell in terms of that moment or moments that follow? What was that, uh, that first, I'd like to say, meeting? Yeah,
2: like? yeah. Um, so yes. from, from my that? end, there was kind of a yearning. You know, I kind of a deep sense that I just really needed more of God mm-hmm. and um was just you know put myself in a place of vulnerability and just asked. And and <laughs> and God responded. Um and yeah. and there was a, a kind of a really incredible kind of flow of kind of the warmth of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, so they were they're almost physical kinds of of manifestations so mm. um but also just a real sense that um that god was present and um mm. and that i was loved
1: what's uh, h- h- how old were you when uh, when you experienced that
2: so so my first kind of um decision to follow jesus like I think it was when I was just a week out of high school. So I would have been 18. Mm-hmm. And then the asking for more of the Holy Spirit came a couple of years later.
0: So 20, sort of 2021 sort yeah. of territory. Yeah. 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 Okay. Mm. Cool. So you you say this phrase of, of uh, if, if I remember correctly, using the word kind of desperately or, 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 or desiring. I was yearning. Yeah, yearning. I think I said it was, uh, yeah. Yearning for... Did you say yearning for more of God? Yeah, yeah. What is it, What does that it, mean? Just, just take me through that. What is that yearning? What, what was there to start with? Were you, can you unpack that sense of growing? Is it, is it discomfort? Is it, is it a gap? Is it loss um, that, that fuels this yearning? Is there a yeah. sense of what you're looking for? Is mm-hmm. it is some of it coming through what you're reading? Uh, is there an interior life to this? I'd I'd love to to know some more about that sense.
2: Yeah, yeah. So so the background is like even before I became a follower of Jesus, I'd been reading the Bible for about a year. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so like that was starting to kind of awaken possibilities, but uh, and it I just had this sense of emptiness mm-hmm. that there was something really missing from my life that some of my other friends had, you know, I I could Mm -hmm. see that they had something I didn't have. And, um, and, and I, I I think it was the sense of, of being, of being loved Mm. and that, that Jesus was offering his love and, and we kind of have to kind of get past our sense of guilt Mm. in order to accept that love. And so this first you know that the, he was offering forgiveness it was really important to me because because mm-hmm. then I could say, "Oh, there's nothing in the way you know that mm-hmm. I can just accept as love, and he mm-hmm. wants to give it
0: I, I love that lead up in how you describe it, and uh, mm-hmm. this is, it's almost these sort of stages that you process through as yeah. I hear your story absolutely and as things. Uh, did it did it feel like that at the time if you think back or as you look back over it? Is it a sense of a of a greater and greater awakening? Is there a sense of a relational structure under that at all in terms of, of person-to-person engagement? You know, you speak of the Holy Spirit, etc. Um is sort of how, how do you look back on that or how do you remember experiencing that that time period?
2: Yeah. So it it was definitely kind of a growing period. So I I do feel, I I don't, I do think I was sensing that kind of step-by-step thing you mentioned that, um, you know, I Mm -hmm. took one step, but then there was something ahead. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I was kind of looking for what that next thing was. And I, and I do, I do think like through, through reading the Bible and prayer, I do think, um, the Holy spirit was kind of coaching me a little bit along the way. So I think there was that, that relational aspect.
1: So so I'm I'm hearing that um, there was, there's almost an initial sense of freedom that comes from the forgiveness and something to settle into. And then after that, there's a sense of going, well, I'm yearning for something more. Yes. What was it that shaped your expectation during that? Because I, I would understand that there's there's a mixture of of both what you're reading and what you're being exposed to. And yeah. then within yourself, there, there are people that are telling you things. They're telling you about their experiences. So perhaps what were some of those experiences that sparked things off for you? Yeah. And then within yourself, what kind of expectations did you start to have in terms of you know the yearning you have and your sense of of what would meet that for
2: you yeah so so all those things you mentioned were definitely going on so this was the early 1970s mm-hmm. and it was kind of right at the height of the charismatic movement Yep. so there was a lot of kind of stuff going on spiritually in just in the in the in the culture that i was in where There was just, you know, God was just doing stuff all over the place. And, and the sense of his.
1: Were you in California by then already?
2: No, I was still in Vancouver. Okay. Um, And, and some of this had, had kind of come to Vancouver through Seattle and through, Mm -hmm. through California. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but Vancouver itself was, kind of had its own kind of charismatic revival. Mm. And, and so I was definitely reading books and um you know, i have friends that were involved in the, the charismatic movement um um and you know so it was all of those things that you mentioned that um kind of created an expectation that this was a possibility
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you say that uh good old andrew murray's uh um you know, some of his writings were part of that. Now, if I if I recall correctly, um, Murray comes from almost that Keswick Second Blessing exactly. kind of exactly. language, and, yeah. and and in those days, I I feel like they were wrestling for language or something. They didn't necessarily have the right language for it. Yeah. Um, but that early language has shaped some of the um, um, uh, I guess some of the theology or some of the understanding of the experience or the process or you know, what the infilling of the Holy Spirit means. Um, yeah. But back in that day, what, what, what was there something in particular about Murray's work or his writings that
2: struck you? Um, well, I think just, just his emphasis on how we can be changed from within, just the whole process of sanctification. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: so I, I, I found him helpful then. You know, these days I would have reservations because um, it, it seems like, He didn't have a. I don't think he believed that um, a person receives the Holy Spirit as an indwelling presence at the point of conversion, and I really think that's important to affirm. Mm. Um, And so, so I I, I, these days I would quibble with him on that. And and these days I feel like Keswick is almost an alternative um, roadmap to the kind of Wesleyan Pentecostalism that, that comes out of Azusa street that, that I'm kind of, um, an advocate for. So, um, you know, so these days I would, I would wrestle with some of the Keswick stuff. Cause to me, to, to me, the, the some of the Keswick teaching is too heavily influenced by Calvinism, um, mm-hmm. that, that, that we're not, able to do anything good you know there's there's nothing good in ourselves and um good old total depravity (laughs) exactly and and i i feel like a lot of that comes through in Keswick. so um and and i would i would i would i would want a more healthy wesleyan kind of approach to sanctification these days but 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 that's it's in my background so i need to own that so
1: Yeah, I, th- I think in some ways what's, what's, what's interesting is, um, you know, we, we don't often afford people like, uh, like Murray and others the grace to be a thinker wrestling with these things in their time and not have yeah. the benefit of hindsight that we have. Yeah. And so to be emerging from within a Calvinist context and land at that is a is a bigger bridge in some pl- ways to to, yeah. to to cross compared yeah. to a wesleyan environment per se yeah um, yeah yeah at least that's how i think about it in retrospect you know but oh that's
0: uh, great you know. i like that that's very helpful and so rory then uh, sort of take us further into your story if you will what happens from from those sort of early 20s um where does life take you what decisions are made uh, what is the journey like Sure.
2: So I, I, I went to seminary and did a couple degrees and um, then just like, let me tell you a story about four or five years ago. I was just, I was just lying mm-hmm. in bed and I just started thinking about how each one of us forms our own idea of who Jesus is mm-hmm. and, and, and how it's, you know, you, it's easy to think, oh, we all have the same Jesus because we all read the same Bible, we all go to the same church, but it's not true. Everybody has their own particular understanding of who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just not inevitable that we form an image purely out of what we read in the Bible, or, or even mm-hmm. what parts of the Bible we want to read. Mm-hmm. But it also comes out of our cultural uh, experiences. So mm-hmm. I just remember at that moment, like four or five years ago, praying, That I wanted to know him more as he really is, Mm. even if that meant giving up pictures that are kind of taken for granted in my faith community. Mm. Um, And I think a lot of people, for example, misread the book of Revelation, and they think that Jesus is going to be completely different when he comes back, getting on a white horse and violently subduing his enemies. Mm. But the, the problem is that if we have that picture of Jesus who can violently subdue his enemies, then why can't we violently subdue our enemies? Hmm. And, and that would be complete subversion of Jesus teaching. You know, one of my core beliefs is we become like the God we worship. And if the book of revelation is really saying that Jesus is going to reverse his teaching on loving your enemies, when he returns, it would never have made it into the canon of scripture, but the book of Revelation is intended to be read as apocalyptic literature and nothing in it should be read literally, or it just produces this false reading. Um, I'm going to mention just a commercial here for another podcast. If that's okay, you can do that later. <laughs> totally fine. I, I do listen to a podcast from word of life church in St. Joseph, Missouri. Mm-hmm. And I think Brian Zond is particularly good on, on this point mm-hmm. of, of who Jesus really is
0: on is very, very good on divine violence. I've found.
2: Yes, yes, hmm. yes.
1: Um. Did you say as an advocate for this, Steve, or uh, <laughs> <is it because>? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm teasing. I, I think one of the <laughs> one of the interesting contrasts there, if we if we go with the attribution, even of uh, you know that uh, the Book of Revelation to John. Is that, um, is that the story of, of Jesus and his resurrection often ends as though he ascends to heaven and becomes a book. Uh, we read the book and we develop our idea of Jesus. And one of the things that I actually love about uh, Revelation is that sense of of being on the island of Patmos and Jesus comes to meet with him, that the sense that this, this risen Lord is still a person and as a person still enters into relationship with people. Um, Not just as the Christ of faith that we build through our reading of the Bible and what we receive by church, but in the sense of, of he is this figure, you know, you know, the language of all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So there's a dimension there that I feel like we often miss in the apocalyptic you know poetic kind of weaving that the book of revelation is that visionary cool. kind of experience but but at the core is the sense of the face-to-face engagement with with this Jesus who is the risen Lord he's he he's he's not just the god that became flesh he's the god that continues to be the lord in history and i think i th- I think that there's there's a lot there that is that is uh, you know, for lack of a better word, really just untapped within our within our tradition. There are so many key yeah. figures in history whose 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 calling to ministry begins with a Jesus returning to them in the same way. And uh, yeah. you know, um, you know, whether one thinks back to Saint Patrick or a, you know uh, any number of figures in history that one could pull out whose names elude me because I've been. Having a good few conversations this afternoon, the brain has gone tired. But Uh but there are there are many where where the story actually starts with that, and and as you say, the question of going well, I have this Christ of faith, but if I open the prayer, what is what is going to happen? You know, what is what is the return going to be? Am I must I give up this idea of Jesus? What what's that going to mean in relation to the community that I'm in? You know. uh, how do I discover him as a person even? Even it's a similar kind of quest to that earlier quest that you had of going, I've got this yearning and I'm following the yearning in in, in
0: this.
2: That's really good.
0: And so so Rory, you, you went through seminary and um, as you said, got a couple of degrees. Mm. Was that a, Was that an intentional move there into academia? Was it to move into... So pastoral ministry, um, <clears throat> what, was, what was behind the decision into seminary and where did that take you?
2: Sure. So I think I, was, I think I was headed for pastoral ministry and then just kind of got interested in the academic stuff. Mm-hmm. And then um, got part of the way through a PhD at Fuller Theological Seminary and ended up working for church. and so I kind of had to just take a DHM and run. And then after I worked mm-hmm. for a church for a while, I got back into teaching and realized I needed a PhD. And so I, I, I restarted a PhD mm-hmm. and finished it. And that's where the really this book comes out of.
0: Okay, so you, so so you you did end up in pastoral ministry for a time, mm-hmm. but um, but then went back back into studies and 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 you're now teaching. Uh,
2: I mostly. Kind of writing and doing tech these days, actually. So I kind of bounce, I bounce back and forth between between those three things.
0: And and the decision to go into seminary towards pastoral ministry um, was that a was that a sense of calling, or did, did that arise out of some of the earlier these sort of early twenties experiences?
2: I think I think there was a sense of calling. Um, I don't I don't think it was highly precise um, I think more just a desire to, to learn more about this stuff mm. and, and to, and to try to get equipped to to serve people better. Cause, um, you know, part of my motivation for seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit is I just realized kind of what a poor teacher I was and just how ineffective <laughs> my teaching was without sure. the Holy Spirit kind of empowering it. So.
0: Okay. And, um, and, and then the journey into open and relational theology, how did you sort of journey and find your way into that space?
2: I was at Fuller. I took a class from David Hubbard um, mm. on uh, Hebrew prophets. And he started talking about how God changes his mind and has feelings and uh, he or at least pathos and mm. he he mentioned his who he called the, the patron saint of old testament theologians abraham heschel <laughs> yeah
0: and, I love that. Uh,
2: <laughs> and and so that kind of just started me reading the bible differently and then mm. then there was this huge rift between kind of biblical studies and and how God is described in the Bible and kind of the systematic theologians where, you know, you had this kind of Calvinistic kind of, um, approach, mm. but I had the gift of getting Colin Brown as, um, both a theology teacher and, um, he was my advisor. And, and he basically said, you know, the Calvinistic system doesn't work and Karl Bart doesn't work. And he, mm. he had done his, his, um, undergraduate, thesis on Karl Barth, so he knew Karl mm. Barth real well, but he basically mm. said, um, interesting stuff, but in the long run, it doesn't work. So th- to me, mm. that was hugely freeing mm. that you had the systematic theolo- theologians saying, you know, mm. really kind of go go with the biblical approach as much mm. as you can, Which- and, which which yeah.
1: is which is hard in a reform context because yes. um, basically they turn around and say that Jesus needed to read more Bart. Is is exactly. pretty much where they land.
2: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, I was exactly. going to say that
0: that must have been some some rather sort of conflicting voices, surely at that mm. point.
2: Yeah, yeah. So so when I did start the PhD program, the first paper I submitted mm. was basically arguing that uh, Neoplatonism had too much influence on on western christianity mm. and oh goodness
0: them's fighting words oh fighting
2: words and 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 the professor rejected the paper he didn't even he didn't even give it up he just said no no you can't submit this paper so he as it turns out he was a hyper calvinist so it was probably not he was probably on the extreme and eventually left fuller for another more calvinistic seminary but um, but that, that's kind of where my interest in open theism came from mm-hmm. is, is this kind of trying to put together the God described in the Bible with, with our theology. And,
1: and, yeah. and just to contextualize this, uh, you know, within, within uh, recent historical memory, around about what year was this that you were wrestling with this?
2: Okay, so this would have been, I, I came to Pasadena in 1986. So this would have been about 1988. Okay. Or 80, 88
3: okay. or
1: eighty-nine. Hmm. Well, it, if if I recall correctly, back in those days, the the reform bunch would have looked at uh, open theists like that uh, um, like they were heretics. Really, <laughs> there's yeah, no softer exactly. way to put it. So, so I'm I'm picturing uh, you studying at that stage uh, in somewhat of a conflicted environment but one that must have provided a lot of pushback against even the exploration of the ideas that you were going into then. Is that, is that, is that fair? Is that a fair assumption?
2: It was really only that first paper that was where I got pushback because after that I was working for, um, more biblical theologians and, um, I wasn't really getting any pushback. They were, they were encouraging, but this was really before, excuse me, open theism was an an identified thing because, um, it was really uh, the publication of uh clark pinnock's book uh, clark and friends the openness of god and i think that's 1994 mm-hmm. i've got mm-hmm. it in my hand let me just double check the date 19 yeah 1994 mm-hmm. that open theism or open th- uh open theology became kind of a known mm-hmm. thing um so so i, I wasn't kind of identified as something at that point, I was just somebody interested in, in trying to understand who God was.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and so, somewhere in your background, the the Reformed and the Pentecostal mix. Yeah, how, how did that come together for you? And you land in a mo- more Reformed environment for your studies.
2: Mm. Yeah. So, so I I had the charismatic experience within a reformed context. Okay. And, um, and, and as I worked through it, they, they just don't, they just don't sit well together. Mm. Um, so, um, that with they, they kind of never, they kind of never gelled for me. Uh, I just had them in kind of different parts of my life. Um, but then, um, working on the book and, Um, kind of seeing the deep resonance between Wesleyan Pentecostalism and open theism, things really started to fall into place for me.
0: Tell tell us some more about that. Um, Just probably just for my benefit, (laughs) (laughs) but but I imagine also for for some of our listeners, Mm. walk walk us through some of the things that started to click for you um, there. Sure. So,
2: Like open theism is the idea that God is essentially loving in his character Mm -hmm. and gives humans real freedom and wants to work with us as we move into a future that's not predetermined, except insofar as God is moving history towards an end goal where the earth is restored and reconciled. Mm -hmm. So open theism to me is that key to untangling the disconnect between mm. what we say about God and worship—that He's loving and good—and the kind of theology that's often taught, where God is outside of time and controlling everything that happens—and mm. then, and then you have, um, you know, really problematic passages in the uh, in the Old Testament, where you have, you know, you have beautiful images of God, but you also have like some really problematic ones, you know, where mm. God is like genocidal or, um, tribalistic. And, mm. um, so, uh, it, it's just kind of coincidental or maybe it's not, but, um, one of the, the primary writers in open theism is Greg Boyd mm. and he has, um, a series of books that, that work on this. And, um, so about three years ago, I read his massive two-volume book, "Crucifixion of the Warrior God," mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, there's a uh, there's kind of a simplified version called what's well, Cross Vision, mm-hmm. and to me, it's really helpful in kind of getting at a more accurate vision of God. Mm-hmm. And I, I will also put in a, um, commercial for his sermon podcast. He, uh, <laughs> he's at Woodland Hills in, uh, Minneapolis and, uh, mm-hmm. and I find that helpful. But, but, um, so, you know, in, in seminary, I was taught that the correct way to do exegesis of old Testament texts was to read them in their own context and ignore the new Testament. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've come to see that this is wrong for a Christ follower. Mm. Jesus, as we have him in the New Testament, is by far the clearest picture of God available to us. You know, Hebrews Mm. 1 says that Jesus is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. Mm. Or, you know, Colossians 1 says he is the image of the invisible God. And in him, in him, all the fullness of God was pleased as well. So he's, Jesus is God made visible. It, it doesn't get any better than that. And in Jesus, we see what God is really like. So it's a mistake to put the Old Testament portraits of God on the same level as what the New Testament tells us that Jesus is like. And you know, as you read the Bible carefully, you notice that the old Testament leads us to Jesus, but some of the things it says about God are just not consistent with what we know about Jesus. So something has to give, you know, either we distort our picture of Jesus by trying to give equal weight to both pictures of God, or we give preference to what we know about Jesus from the new Testament and allow that to filter our reading of the old Testament. And this is where Greg Boyd's book is really helpful. Um, he, uh, he sees all scripture as inspired. You know, so that should make evangelicals happy. Greg Boyd sees all scripture as inspired. You know? and he didn't I want fear to just... it's
0: downhill from here. Oh.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes. But he didn't want to just throw out or ignore the difficult passages in the Old Testament. He's one of the few mm. people I know that will actually go in there and read them and take them seriously. Most of us just ignore them, you know? Mm. And, and just kind of go on about our lives as if they're not there. But, you know, he's taken the trouble to go in and look at each one. And, and, and he, he carefully argues that they're there to show us how far God in his love is willing to condescend to our level mm. for the sake of relationship. And he, in the Old Testament, accommodated himself to our faulty expectations of what a God should be like. And in the ancient world, that picture of God was violent and retributive and tribalistic, mm. but I believe Revelation is progressive. So the picture of God in the Bible gets clearer and clearer the closer to Jesus we come.
1: Yeah, yeah. In fact, in fact, that notion of um, Revelation being progressive would be—it's uh, it, a welcome picture within, uh, you know, as conservative a theological stream as you as you can get. You know, even if even if they even if it's a stream that likes to draw these very clear propositions out, there's the idea that you know God enters history in relation to people that don't know God, and that this picture of who God is builds over time and has to be seen through the lens of a variety of cross-cultural engagements over a long period of time. With a god that speaks that speaks and brings to pass and and even in the language of key figures like moses you've got the sense of going well i've heard about you but i don't actually know who you are so can we actually meet each other do you have know yeah and yeah. and so those kind of elements are, are are a rich part of that old testament background but 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 an aspect that i i feel is often left out is that jesus didn't just read it the old testament you know in in a world where the new testament uh, didn't exist and where other books were around somewhat understood somewhat on par you know other apocalyptic literature from that intertestamental period or the second temple period you know and elsewhere right um even maccabees and that kind of stuff i'm sure you yeah. would have been exposed to things like that but yeah but his picture of god is not just shaped by that it's it's also shaped by a lifelong relational engagement
2: yes Mm. Yeah. lifelong relational engagement that's good mm.
1: Mm. And, and i feel like i feel like in some senses that that is that is left out and so when jesus revisits those texts you know even at the beginning of his ministry he selects a Zion, but he stops the passage short which yes. gets people very upset when they're expecting the messiah to be the person that brings about the day of vengeance of our god right yeah <laughs> um so for him to land at that he, he he reads the old testament with a slightly different eye and i think you know, I've, I, for instance, see him picking up on things like, you know, in, in, common, in, a, in what, what I read as a direct commentary on the God, neighboring God, Baal, you know, what is Baal like? Well, Baal is the owner, and as the owner, he demands and he gets. And so when he demands, your firstborn on a bride, that's what you do. And in contrast, distinction to that, you've got Yahweh stepping in and going, no, I'm making the same claim to be the Lord of everyone but i'm not going with owner i'm going with a with a father picture and in fact you will give me your your your, your firstborn um but i don't want to disturb your family so instead you'll give me one tribe and as opposed to brying them let them be a living sacrifice to me so there's there's a lot of things like that, that 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 read within the context of of the historical milieu that it's in is very much a critique and a a a claim to similar entitlement to equal high gods in that area around there. And almost this tumultuous picture of wrestling through the unknown and the chaos of the picture of God towards clarity, you know, just as there's there's ethical advancements, whether it's the the city of refuge, you know, which in those days Mm. is unheard of. I mean, giving someone a fair trial, you know, Hmm. like, like that didn't exist. And yet within that context, you've got the notion that this is, this is something that is attributed to God seeding this in society or backing it. Um, So there's many pictures like that, that I think that, that read with that eye, you see a very different perspective to God. It's, it's still a little bit hard to reconcile the judgmental God, the genocidal God, but it becomes a little bit easier to go. Perhaps God had a good reason if we're going to accept that anyway. Yeah. Um, and even if one lets that go, the overall impetus is towards a relational engagement. That's deeply nurturing and fulfilling that you don't, that you don't get at the surface reading of the text. You have to, yes. you have to read those things as a deconstruction that later on, even God goes, I don't want those sacrifices.
0: Yes, you know, like yeah. there's
1: something else that I'm wanting, and what is that something that I'm wanting from you? It's a relational engagement. So, so, so I, I very much think that that Jesus's picture of that is informed, you know, um, by, by 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 his relational engagement himself, and so it's easier for him to lift that from the text as well and emphasize that. I, I think for the most part, people that are raised in very nationalistic environments or um you know particularly racially centered environments or where there's an imbalance of power and and injustice it's easy to read god as though god is imperialistic you know sending them in to claim the land and conquer the earth and that and so our reading of the text is is largely shaped you know so that we we read the text through the lens of who we are the text doesn't read us as though it is neutral and just speaks to us. And that's not taking yeah. away the sense of the inspiration or any of that kind of stuff well. in my books, but but I think it is, it is highly informative to go, if my reading of the text somehow differs to Jesus, we need to triangulate somewhere and uh, and you know on, on some level i think christians look back and go geez you know we wish jesus was saved you know <laughs> we wish he was our messiah <laughs> and, and that's that that is the end point of where they stand you know especially within the modern kind of uh, fundamentalist nationalistic kind of christianities that we start seeing brewing um, yeah. but I'm, I'm i'm just in a monologue yeah i'm sorry I just uh, no no back, no that was really
2: interesting especially especially what you're saying about how some of what moses was doing was a polemic against you know kind of the the existing culture of baal and you know like even even the creation account is like that where yep. you know it's yeah. it's, a, it's a polemic against you know the the mesopotamian creation myths like Elish um you know so it's it's like there's something really going on there so i, I really appreciate you bring that out
0: and, and Rory, when you talk about um, Boyd and his idea of, of kind of God's condescension in history towards humanity, right? Is that yes. tracking with the idea, with the evolutionary psychology idea, or is that a different track mm. in terms of, of God relating to humankind over time in terms of revelation? Mm. Are you referring to a God who, who staggers revelation? God in and of God's self staggers revelation over time or yeah. is this a God within the evolutionary psychology picture that is, it is issuing forth as much revelation as possible and humanity over time, uh, awakens and grows capacity to take that on. Um, yeah. where, where would you sit there? Do you see a distinction as, are we saying the same thing?
2: I seem to remember, uh, Greg Boyd kind of disavowing the idea of the evolutionary psychology, but it's been a while since I've read the book. So don't, we'd have to go back and look it up. But I think, I think he's, his point basically is that God takes us where we are. Mm. And, and, you know, he, he was starting with such in a sense, tribalistic people that, um, it's kind of it's hard for westerners to appreciate mm. how culturally different um the people are that he was starting with and and how i, they I mean
1: in, in fairness uh, god was working with what was there right so we yes. didn't <laughs> we didn't we didn't exactly have advanced western civilizations or no. others around at that point so no. so, so so yes mm. as you said it it's it's radically different, both the conception of the world they lived in and, and perhaps the, the, the previous
2: experience of what gods were like. Exactly. Yeah. And, and we kind of take it for granted these days, but Western culture has had hundreds of years mm-hmm. of the influence of the idea that God is love mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that we should care for our neighbor. And we obviously do that very imperfectly, but at least that 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 influence has been there. And, and I think it I think it really shapes how we how we read things. I think one
1: of the one of the other things, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> opening to the idea of a progressive revelation gives us, is is almost a, a permission giving for our <clears throat> for our idea of God to evolve ourselves. Yes, you know that we, we we start off with an idea, and and through repeated engagements and explorations, we can we can grow in our perception or understanding of God. I hope we do because
2: mm. <laughs> you know, a lot of people mm. don't, but I think we really need to, you know, I think yeah, that's mm. a really good point. Mm. Mm. And, you know, um, mm. maybe in terms of just the progressive revelation, I just wanted to mention, um, you know, that, that passage, I was just reading it this week in Luke chapter nine, where, you know, suddenly Moses and Elijah appear, mm. uh, they're on the mountain. Jesus is there with his disciples. And you have Moses and Elijah, and they're kind of representing the law and the prophets. Mm-hmm. And a voice from heaven says, this is my son, my chosen, listen to him. Mm-hmm. And, and then when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. So there's, I, I, think, I think that story is there partly to kind of say, yes, mm-hmm. we do have a progress in revelation. And, and, and now it's, it's Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, so the Old Testament revelation, I think, is being eclipsed at that point, having served its purpose. Mm-hmm. But I also want to say a little bit about accommodation because, you know, like I'm aware of how much God is willing to accommodate my weaknesses and my understandings and, mm-hmm. and, and my, uh, lack of capacity. And, uh, and I just think, I think that's part of God's incredible love that it's not just the, for the Israelites that he was accommodating, but. Um, he, he, even today he's accommodating, but, but I'm thinking there's a, there's a downside to that because, you know, I want to ask what are ways that God is accommodating, but we'd be so much better off if we were in a place where he didn't have to accommodate that in us. Mm-hmm so so it's just accommodation kind of works both ways
0: in terms of, of of what what you're aiming at there?
1: I, I think well, I'm, i think i might be with you there in the sense of, of almost going there's a degree to which god works despite us or, or yes or, or doesn't as opposed to the accommodation the sense of, of of a sense of almost cooperation and invitation to cooperate and together with that's a greater work is that am i hearing you right there
2: That's part of it, but I've just very practically, I'm just thinking of like, like churches where there's really good worship of God and kind of decent biblical preaching, Mm -hmm. but, Mm -hmm. but the world's not getting changed. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. and I think, you know, God still shows up to kind of inhabit the worship of his people and to encourage us, Mm -hmm. even though we're not doing what we really should be doing. In terms of implementing the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. so I, so I, that's I think that's where I, w- I was going with that where you know i don't want to i don't want to rejoice too much in the idea of accommodation because it could be <laughs> depriving us of where God is really trying to to move us
0: i've got to I mean, this might seem like a rather arbitrary question, but it's it's genuine mm-hmm. um, and yeah, maybe if you're willing, Rory, we can we can see if see where this takes us. When you say you talk about a sense of, of God accommodating you, and, and I imagine that you might be talking in the singular, but perhaps also in the plural, you, you know, people. Yeah. Um, how do you arrive at that? And so that's why I say it sounds like a bit of an arbitrary question. Oh, no, but, I think
1: I think it's quite significant, especially given the uh, the reformed background, which, yeah, doesn't really yeah. have room for that, right? What yeah. what
0: what is it that what is it that builds that picture for you? Is is there a sense of are, are you? Well, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'd be happy but
0: for I'm, that. <laughs> but I'm fascinated around like what is it that builds the picture? Is, is there is there right. a sense of God relating to you and yeah. and essentially? revealing to you, Hey, Rory, I'm being very accommodating with you. Yeah. Is, well, it I a, just, is it of yeah. that and theology and mm. background is it witness of other people. You've spoken about a number of things. So I'm just trying to read all of that together and go, yeah, mm. I'd love to know how do you arrive at that? Cause I think for me, this, the center of the question is that's a very personal thing that you're talking about. That's why I distinguish between the singular you and you plural, you know, if you say god is accommodating you how how do you arrive at that that's that's a fascinating space and i'm not challenging it i just want to be very very clear on how i'm coming in but i would love to know what what you would say to that in response yeah
2: so i think it's only as i look back on different parts of my life Mm -hmm. you know and i think back oh there was so much i didn't know and Mm -hmm. oh i was so stupid to think that or uh, you know i just Mm -hmm. you know i can't believe i did that or had that attitude or you know Mm -hmm. treated somebody that way Um, and yet, you know, it didn't all end at that point. I I was, you know, kind of able to go on and learn from it. So, Mm. so I, I, I think that's, I think that's where it comes out of. It's just a sense that, yeah, we're all learning together on this and we really need each other. Mm. Even in this idea about who Jesus is, we really need each other, um, to, to help clarify and to, to challenge each other a little bit, I guess, on. Mm on, on who Jesus is and, and kind of help us to kind of get past the, the perceptions that, that, that are just, we just, you know, because we just take things for granted.
1: Yeah. There's, this there's, there's certainly like a, like a, like a cultural waiting or a cultural bulwark within Christianity that, that kind of props up the whole faith thing. Um, potentially without enough relational engagement is, 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 how I feel. Um, yeah. You know, or, or perhaps even as a substitute for it, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm just thinking back to, to, to the last date you mentioned when you started wrestling with open theism was the late eighties. Um, but your thesis submission is June, 2015. Mm. Uh, if my maths is correct, it's about uh, <laughs> seventeen years between the two. I'm a and, slow
2: learner. Let me tell you. <laughs>
1: same yeah, same yeah. I think I, I think we're wrestling with these big things and these complex things with so many different uh, pressures and currents and that. It's it's really hard to. come up with something very quickly that is you know neat and concise you know so 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 that's that's quite a journey to land there but but you chose a specific track with your thesis which you then turned into a book you you chose the track of 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 picking up from from wesley into the pentecostals into open theism and somehow blending that together um I, I, I'm really fascinated just to hear what that journey is, was was like for you personally and what it was
2: like for you academically. Yeah. Um, so I came into the PhD program uh, with kind of dual interest, both in uh, the charismatic movement and Pentecostalism and open theism. But at that point, I didn't I hadn't really read any open theism. I kind of just kind of knew it was out there but I kind of wanted to think about a little bit first before I was too influenced by what other people are said. So I actually didn't read Clark Pinnock until I was in my PhD program. So, (laughs) which is, you know, I, so I could, I, you know, if I, I don't know, I could have benefited by reading the stuff a lot earlier, I suppose, (laughs) but you know, that's just the way I I process. So, but then, (laughs) then once I was there, um, I just had a couple of really marvelous professors who kind of just loved the theology of John Wesley. Mm. And, um, and just, and then when I started reading Clark Pinnock, he was, you know, he pointed out the, the synergy between Wesleyan Pentecostalism and openness theology, as he calls it. And, and so it's, it's there in Pinnock. So it's not, it's not a unique idea at all, but, Then I, you know, I had Amos Young as the director of the program at that point. And he just, I think Mm -hmm. in a brilliant move, put me together with a historian, Kim Alexander and to work on, and, and, and we worked on Wesley and, Mm -hmm. and Azusa street together. And, um, it was, it was, it was really discovering John Wesley as kind of the root of all of this and, and the impetus for all of this. That was was the thing that gave me joy in doing the in the in the, in the doing the book. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I mean, it's 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 a good thing that you chose two very narrow um, fields of literature that only have a handful of books to choose through, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Oh. But you know, so, just
2: just just reading John Wesley's sermons took me a couple of years. You know, he, he was he was sure. a prolific guy. So yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah he did have a couple i think at least 3 yeah at least 3 <laughs> <laughs> we're talking but volumes here yeah, <laughs> yeah. yes exactly <laughs> libraries yeah um Rory i'm i'm uh, i'm certain it doesn't take anything away from the book but mm. uh would rather spur people on to actually go and read it um i'd love to to hear if you could give some sort of summary mm. as concise as you wish or as expansive mm. as you wish around around these connections that you explored and the ideas Wesley, Pentecostalism, open theism, et cetera, et cetera. Um, would you be willing to take a stab at that?
2: Sure. So um, the book invites Pentecostals and charismatics and other folks mm. who rely on the Holy Spirit to embrace open theism. That's basically what I'm writing for. and. And I look at the Wesleyan roots of open theism, then the Wesleyan roots of Pentecostalism, and then it just all fits together so nicely. So, um, in case people don't know what I mean by open theism, maybe I better define that a little bit. Yeah, that'd be great. So, so it's 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 kind of in contradistinction to what you might call classical theism or uh biblical classical theism. And um that view of theology is kind of constructed around the assertion that God is perfect. And you can uh describe God in terms of certain perfections. Um, for example, Anselm uh defined God as the being than which nothing greater can be conceived. And here he's building on those Greek philosophical ideas that God is perfect, immovable, unchangeable, mm. Mm. and incapable of being influenced.
1: So open really theism it, is... It, really, it's the platonic foundation of God is exactly. the good and
2: the beautiful, but God exists in the ideal, not in, in mm. reality as such. Yeah. Exactly. So open theism is just a reaction against that. Mm. And, mm. you know, whereas other theologies emphasize or prioritize God's power and they emphasize divine sovereignty, um, Mm. or even God's righteousness and divine judgment. But for open theism, the starting point is the affirmation that God is love. And that just sets the whole theological agenda. And for many open theists, love is not just one among God's attributes, but the most important one. So, um,
0: it reminds me of uh, Brother Lawrence from toze who wrote the book, uh, God is Love Alone. Yes,
2: exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Sorry, carry on.
2: Yeah. So um, may- maybe I'll just talk a little bit about how I see the fruit of putting kind of renewal theology. And when I say renewal, I mean kind of charismatic Pentecostal or, or those kind of movements that are oriented towards the Holy spirit. So b- b- mm. just putting renewal theology together with open theism. Mm. So, and here I'm just stealing a bit of the book um, where I'm talking mm. about the, the praxis. Of
1: I, I'm sure if there's anyone that's allowed to steal from the book, it's you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: yes. <laughs> we won't and ask this is... you to, to cite yourself <laughs> from the conversation. Thanks.
2: Yeah. And, 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 you know, I gotta say, um, you know, Open theism is by no means monolithic, mm. and I mean you guys—you know—you've had the fortune to have Tom Ord on the show, so mm. you know you will already have have detected subtle differences, perhaps you know just from difference of approach. But but this yeah. is this is just my the way I put it together. So mm-hmm. for me, the first thing when you try to put them together is you you end up with an emphasis on following Jesus.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And you know, open theology has something powerful to contribute because it, it emphasizes the condescension of God in surrendering total control of the universe to facilitate free choices mm-hmm. in the beings He created. Mm-hmm. And then this theme of condescension continues in the incarnation when. The son gives up the prerogatives of heaven to become vulnerable and human. Mm. And then the theme continues in the ministry of Jesus when he serves the needs of humanity Mm. in his ministry of teaching and healing and exorcism, and he inaugurates the kingdom of God. Mm. And then most profoundly, the theme of condescension is acted out on the crosses. Jesus pours himself out in self-sacrificial love. So, So the first kind of thing that comes out of the synthesis is, Mm. is this just this prioritizing of Jesus. And then another characteristic would be just adventure. You know, you, it's kind of inspired by the vision of God as a risk taker, you know, open theism is, is just kind of really resisting the idea of a deterministic universe and a God that controls everything you know, instead you have, you know, God taking huge Mm. risk with, with the Hebrew people and, 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 and there's, he takes huge risks with us and he just did not determine everything in advance, but, but took the significant risk of creating spiritual beings, including humans and giving us a degree of really genuine freedom. Mm. And God does not always get his way. And as evidenced by all the sin and the pain in the world and and he, he really desires to be co workers with willing humans. So, so mm. there's that adventurous uh, aspect.
1: And even within that, I would uh, throw out the spanner of, of the delays in what God is fulfilling, even in relation yeah. to God's people. Yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But, but it's cooperative, there's, there's synergy.
1: It's, it's negotiable. <laughs> yeah. Negotiable <laughs> and sim- exactly. Just, yeah,
2: yeah. 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 Exactly. Right. Mm. And then a, a third characteristic would be compassion um, because you have, you've, you've got all in with his love for humanity in yeah. this openness vision. And it's, you know, to me, one of the most objectionable aspects of Calvinist theology is just the callousness it um, attributes to God is, as, as if, you know, if, if he creates people that he knows will end up eternally lost mm-hmm. or, or even eternally tortured in some versions, you know, it's just, um, it, it just, it, it, it's just, to me, it's just a really unacceptable, unacceptable view of God, given that, that, that Jesus reveals God to be love. And that same hardness in Calvinism is seen. If you assign to God control of everything that occurs, because, it makes him responsible for every bad thing that happens, mm. you know. And the the open view is just radically different. Mm. Um, mm. You know, if if the future is partially open, as open theists would affirm, there there's a, pl- a plausibility in the assertion that God wills none to be lost. Mm. So it's that's you know that, that's not. An essential part of open theism but at least there's that possibility open and and god's heart is for us and he works compassionately in every circumstance to bring the peace and love of his kingdom mm-hmm. so that's compassion and then fourth would be nonviolence, and you know it's it really interesting to me that this point gets me into more trouble than than open theism does <laughs> <laughs>
1: You, you mean um, not violence seems to evoke violence? There's some yes. kind of uh, homeopathic yeah. uh, reaction there. <laughs> exactly,
2: exactly. But, but you know, it, it really, you know, when you when you read Wesley, when you read Jesus, mm. um, when you see the, the pacifism of the early Pentecostals, um, it, it just, you, you recognize that God's love is mostly non-coercive. And Mm. God's preferred way of working with people is to draw him, draw them to himself. Mm. And um, yeah, so there's, so there's that. Mm. And then the fifth one would be social justice. And again, Mm. you know, this is really strong in John Wesley Mm. and um, it it comes out of that, that human freedom that we have Mm. that, um, you know, like I mentioned earlier that, Mm. Theology really does matter. What you you think God is like is what what you're going to become like. And George Whitfield was like one of uh, John Wesley's main conversation partners, and and mm. and George Whitfield was um, involved in the Calvinistic side of the Methodist revival. But you know, George Whitfield elevated divine sovereignty mm. at the expense of human freedom, mm. and he advocated for the legalization of slavery in Georgia and he owned slaves after it became le- le- uh, after it became legal, mm. um, John Wesley, in contrast, he, he writes, and who cares for thousands, myriads, if not millions of the wretched Africans are not whole droves of these poor sheep, human, if not rational beings continually driven to market and sold like cattle into the vilest bondage with no hope of deliverance, but by death. So you know, Wesley was um, active in the anti-slave trade movement, and you know, like one of the last things he did was write um, a letter uh, to—I'm
0: oh, blanking—the
2: mm-hmm. uh, 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 the guy in Britain who uh, willforce. Thank you so much. Yeah. So <laughs> one of Wes, one of Wesley's last acts. Was to write a letter to William Wilberforce encouraging Wilberforce to continue the fight against the sure. the slave trade. Yeah. And so, you know, Wesley was just all in 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 this kind of concern for social justice. And it didn't it didn't extend just to people too. He loved animals. And so, you know, this was around the time when like the SBCA was getting started. I don't remember what it's mm. called in Britain, but
0: um if the R-S-P-C-A <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just, just Schlecker royal on the front of you, British. <laughs> <laughs>
2: British. Uh, you know and like a modern application of Wesley's concern would would be like not only to end slavery but also kind of really eradicate human trafficking mm. and and really all forms mm. of oppression you know militaristic mm. social, political, gender-based and and economic so um so there's that, that, that real um, emphasis towards social justice. And there's um, a scholar by the name of Daisy Mercado. Um, mm. I, I, she, she writes, uh, predestination favors the rich. Mm. And I think she's so right about that. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in, in the Calvinist view, God is in absolute control. So the status quo must be, the way he wants it. But in I, the...
1: I, yeah? I, I, would, I would 100% agree there. I mean, I'd be an avid supporter of capitalism if I was part of the 1%. I'm not. Yes. So it gives me an avenue to go, let me fight for the rights of those that are, that, that are more marginalized than I am, right? Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. And in the open theist renewal view, the world is very much not the way God intends it. And his sympathies lie with those who are oppressed. And Mm. open theist renewals seek to bring as much as possible of the future kingdom into Mm. the present, you know, Mm. working to set people free from injustice and suffering. Mm. Mm. So do you want me Uh, to keep going? I got five more or do you want me to end there?
1: Uh, no, sure. Just uh, if you'd run through the, 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 the five others as well quickly, and then, uh, and then I actually have a, a good question to follow up after that. But yeah, Great. Okay.
2: Mm. So number six would be like um, kind of the charismatic renewal and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I kind of mm. think that this impetus from God through the Holy Spirit is kind of the fuel that makes all this happen. You know, I don't think he can change the world without God's involvement. It's not just about human effort. It really is a partnership. And and we kind of need that that power of the Holy Spirit to make it happen. And then the seventh Mm. point would be sanctification. And again, you know, this was a huge emphasis in in John Wesley. Mm. And uh, he just, you know, really wanted to see people change, both on the inside. And he wanted to see uh, communities change. And then uh, an eighth point would be the renewal of humanity and the renewal of the earth. And this again is, is John Wesley's vision of how things are playing out. And, and he sees the goal of salvation as a renewed humanity and a renewed earth. So he does, you know, his expectation is not that we all go up to heaven when we die, but that. Heaven comes here, yep. and 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 you know, Jesus said the kingdom of God is among you. So I think that's kind of Jesus' idea too.
1: Which also, which also is curiously yeah. enough, you know, you referred earlier to the ap- apocalyptic work of, of of John. A big part of that is the is the is the city of heaven meeting the city of earth. Yeah. And, and the unification of two along the, you know, along those lines and, and God living amongst humanity, as opposed to, um, just a negative view, right?
2: Yeah. 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 Mm. So Brian's Zahn recently mentioned he had this vision of the two kind of coexisting mm. and, and sometimes you can kind of see through our visible world to the other one. And I thought mm. that was kind of an interesting vision. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, uh, but I guess I got to say the renewal of the earth does involve spiritual warfare because the earth is presently a battleground between those people and spirits aligned with God and those opposed to him and his will. And, you know, a lot of open theists don't go here, but I'm kind of with Greg Boyd Mm -hmm. on this, that it's, if if you just kind of leave the, 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 the malevolent spirits out of it, you just lose a whole lot of explanatory power mm. when, when you're talking about mm. about trying to make sense of evil and suffering and pain.
1: Mm. Very much so, yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, mm. And then ninth would be joy. And, um, you know, it's just, you got to have some joy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's just like, you know, living in the fullness mm. of the Holy Spirit is just really important Uh, otherwise you just get bogged down real fast. And then the last one would be the love of God and love of neighbor. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mm -hmm. Wesley says, here then is the great object of Christian zeal. Let every true believer in Christ apply with all fervency of spirit to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that his heart may be more and more enlarged in love to God and to all mankind. So, you know, Wesley saying, you know, let's just love God with everything we got and let's love our neighbor in the same way.
1: Hmm. I, I think those are, um, those are fantastic points that I, I love the way you draw these, uh, z- these three seemingly disparate themes together, that of Wesley, Pentecostalism hmm. and open and relational theology. I I, I want to phrase a, a, a question and, and perhaps put something on your project, something on you, and you just need to let me know if that's fair or unfair. Sure. Um, if you, if you're willing to take the risk, I'm willing to take the stab. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So I, I feel like in some ways landing here is almost like the equivalent of where you started. You start with this, this understanding of, of the needing for forgiveness and then You know, there's a few years in between, you know, perhaps a decade or two as well, if we're just, uh, if we're being fair, (laughs) you land at this place of a deep theology that brings these disparate themes together and it lands you um, almost at a, at at an ever deepening nuancing and expansion of where you started that, that earlier experience of, of forgiveness and the idea of God being willing to forgive, um, really impacted your life and then it went on to a sense of 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 yearning of a desire for a for an experience a desire for something more this theological process and the journey that you're on where does this leave you now in relation to an ongoing pursuit of and relational engagement with god where does it leave you in terms of pushing into the relational experience of god as, as almost like a parallel. So I'm, 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 paralleling your initial forgiveness, pushing on into the receiving of the Holy spirit within the Pentecostal framework with your expanded theology now. And I, I, you know, anyone that's taken on a PhD and gone through that level of deconstruction and, and process and work to land where you are and put a book out, there's, there's, there's a deep Inner work that goes together with that—a deep yeah. um, roller coaster that you ride, both through the deconstruction, the reconstruction within that. If I parallel that to where you started as almost a, a, a naive, naive faith, um, and then I parallel what followed on in terms of the desire for experience to where you're at now. Tell me about that something more. Where does this leave you in terms of of yearning? What are you learning yearning for in terms of your engagement with God in the year and now? And how do you see that impacting the relational connections um, between yourself and yourself, yourself and others around you, yourself and cosmos and yourself and God? And how does this filter through i mean it's a it's a short question um (laughs) i jest (laughs) but i but 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 i but i'd really love to 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 hear a a response is that is it is is it fair firstly for me to contrast those your early those two early experiences with where you're at now and secondly what do you make of it if if that is fair
2: okay so i'd like to i think you're i think you're accurate in what you say Um, i'd like to respond in two ways. One is to say, I've been really helped by, um, a book that Greg Boyd put out a few years ago, um, where he just emphasizes practicing the presence of God and how just getting everything we need, um, from our sense that God loves us Mm. and just, you know, just prioritizing that. Mm. And, and so I think that's, I think that's kind of where, you know, how I'm trying to press into knowing God better. It's just to rely more and more on that. Um, I, then,
1: I, I I just have to do this because I don't get to play the skeptic often. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the Pentecostals use that phrase and it just doesn't translate. The, the the thing that you've said about pressing more into God, oh, and okay. relying yeah, on the yeah. love of God. So, so on the surface level, like, like for me, it just washes over me and I go, you've actually told me nothing with that. And if I can hold you that in a second and just go, take me past that as uh, I'd get that answer from anyone, but what does it mean? What does it look like to press into that? And what does it mean to let to be reshaped by that? Like, what, what are you looking for? What does that translate to?
2: Okay. Yeah. So I I guess just like what if I'm feeling needy, say Mm. that, you know, like somebody has done something to me or Mm. um, I'm feeling some, some lack of balance in my life, um, you know, there's different ways you can deal with that. And, and just, you know, taking a moment to think, yeah, but God loves you. And is there anything really more important than that? Um, that just kind of has a way of, of changing us. Mm. So I I, I think, I think that's how I'd respond to that. Does that kind of get at it a little bit?
1: I, I, I absolutely. I mean it's it's mm-hmm. it's um it's it's your it's your answer to the question. <laughs> so okay. so if you feel that gets at it for you, then that totally. Yeah, I think I think I hear you in that, yeah.
2: Okay. But going yeah. back to your previous question mm. about um you know, where from here, mm. um I think I'm preoccupied a little bit with you know, how do we partner with God to change things? Mm. And, um, you know, for me, part of that is, you know, just, just these trips to Africa, I guess I've made about 12 of them so far. Oh, wow. And, and like, you know, yeah. the first one was terrifying for me. You gotta <laughs> understand, you know, I'm this, you know, a little white kid from, you know, comfortable middle-class suburbia mm. and, and I'm a total germaphobe and <laughs> and it's just like I, I remember i remember going to the doctor's office for the immunizations mm. and i was i was literally tr- sitting there trembling and and he didn't know what i needed to go to africa so he was pulling out his textbooks and and looking looking up <laughs> which which shots i should be getting and how much of that but he mm. himself had had, had a you know experience in Tibet. so he was no you know novice to international travel but but i just remember sweating and literally shaking mm-hmm. i was so so fearful about the idea of, of, of this first trip <laughs> to africa and now yeah. i can't think of anything i'd rather do but um you know so for me it's like you know kind of getting past our comfort zones and trying to really um tr- try to help people in mm. um, ways that are both um, showing Jesus love, but also like doing something that, that really helps them. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's, yeah.
1: I I remember one of my first missional trips like that as well. And we, we went up with a bunch of people and I remember, uh, sitting at an event and, uh, at one point looking over to someone that I, that I knew and, uh, as I looked at them, I I saw what culture shock looks like on someone's (laughs) face. (laughs) And uh, it's, 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 um, I I think it's, it's, it's hard to, to uh, appreciate what that means and appreciate necessarily what you're saying because we're so used to a woke culture that is so critical of, of, of Westerners at this level and yet there, yes. there is something to go. This is the world that I've known. I'm leaving the world that I've known. Someone else might know that world and be comfortable with it. But I only know this world through stories and through the media. And I, I really don't know what I'm getting myself into. And yet I'm feeling a calling to go. Yeah, uh, I, I imagine some of that must just mm. describe some of what you're feeling. And that as you go, you get those shots and you
2: prepare. And yeah. Mm. Exactly right. Mm exactly right and,
1: and Rory so so for you it's really looking then like like the partnering with God to change the world and to bring um, to, to bring a positive change to to
2: people mm. yeah and you know you were early mentioning how you know hopefully we do kind of progress in our relationship with God mm. and you know like uh, Brian Zahn talks about multiple conversions. Yeah. And, and, you know, he talked about how he had a, I think, I don't remember what his language is, but something like a conversion to Jesus say, mm-hmm. um, maybe 20 years ago where he kind of realized he needed a more authentic form of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I feel like I've had a little bit of a conversion to the poor, mm-hmm. just, um, you know, like, um, through my experiences in Africa and you know, kind of mm. r- reading the Hebrew prophets, and um, mm. let, me, let me just read you a little quote. Um, this is the Peruvian theologian Gustavo Gutierrez. He wrote, A spirituality of liberation will center on a conversion to the neighbor, the oppressed person, the exploited social class, the despised ethnic group, the dominated country. Our conversion to the Lord implies this conversion to the neighbor. To be converted is to commit oneself lucidly, realistically, and concretely to the process of the liberation of the poor and oppressed. And I think there's something to
0: that. I, I love, um, I, I can never pronounce his surname properly. <laughs> that guy, Gutierrez, yeah. uh, his, his commentary in terms of that. Mm. Um, I, I think it's absolutely spot on, and I love that quote. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to ask something earlier in terms of, of your response to, to Tim's question, Rory. the I wanna, so I also want to pose something to you and you can tell me if you feel that it's fair um, or, if, or if, uh, if, if I see something and if we see it the same way you you talk about the, uh, the interaction of you know positing, a couple of, of ways of being nervous or or anxious about something or you know, some sort of internal personal situation. And that the response to that may be to reflect on on God's love, you know, as you talk about. And and it's almost to, to as I hear you talking, it's as if weighing the two of them in the balance, the one overshadows the other, if if that's not too poor a paraphrase if, if that's if that's kind of where you're going with that perhaps I should pause there and just ask that question
2: well I, I, the intention is I mean the ideal is to live with that sense pretty constant with you that you, you you know the first thing you try to think about in the morning is yeah the most important thing is that God loves me and that that mm. kind of stays with you so it, it kind of is, is more a defining experience as as much as just a um, kind of a an antidote to to bad things. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, thank you. That that that's that's exactly why I wanted to pause because that's that's far better put than i put it because <laughs> it's not a suggestion of a of a simple formulaic you know response to 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 bad times. Yeah. So thank you. That's that's far more helpful. Great. But. How would, you, how would you talk about the weighting of relationship mm. in, in what you speak about? Because for me, there's, there's two aspects there, and I'm, I'm keen to know whether you would see this similarly to me or whether we perhaps might differ there. There's the, there's the internal sort of intra-relationship with, within yourself mm. around um, sort of where you're at, and the position you know that you talk about you know waking up in the morning for example and immediately awakening not just physically but you're awakening on many on many levels consciously recalling god loves me that is a is a foundational part of of who you are and where you're at right yeah in, in terms of what you're saying but <clears throat> that is that is if, if not purely that is more weighted towards the intra uh, relational with within you as self um, how do you weight that against the relation the relating to God as person because you know the the one is is to put it very sort of poorly layman's terms is you're filling in both sides of the conversation potentially you know when going oh, up, let me just remind myself that that God loves yeah. me that that's part of the foundational par- paradigm. Yeah. How do you weight that against the the more and oh, I seem to be struggling for language because I want to say transactional, but that's not what I, that's, what I wanna, that's not what I'm talking about. It's interactive, but it is maybe course. Yeah. yes, thank you interactive. That's better. The interactive nature of relationship between self and something other than self would you distinguish between those two how does that wait for you if you do distinguish and kind of going with where I'm with what I'm putting yeah, forward yeah so how I, do you lean into the other side as well yeah so i would definitely
2: agree that there is a distinction and and for me it's like every day i have a practice of just taking a moment and saying you know god you know what do you want to say to me right now and and i'll just listen and and so that is kind of transactional you know that mm. that um whereas, or perp- yeah, or and that's in,
1: in interrelational in the sense. Interrelational, of going, good, um, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah that's good. Mm. So but you know, it's it's like it's more it's more personal, it's more intentional, and it's um it's not it's different every day. You know, it's like, mm. you know, what he'll say today is not necessarily what he'll say tomorrow. Yeah. But, mm. but in terms of the love, that's pretty constant.
0: Mm. 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 And if I may ask then, so what happens in those interactive moments mm. without necessarily trying to be voyeuristic um, mm-hmm. around the details or the, you know, the, the specifics, um, what, what is that like? You know, because also you, know, you use the phrase practicing the presence of God, which is something Tim and I use between each other, but a number of people use it and it can often mean different things. Mm-hmm. So what is it that happens in those moments of openness to God and God speaking? What, what is that experience like for you? Um, and if we dial it right down to the day-to-day sort of layman language, is it a Voice is it a sense? Is it mediated through some way? What what's that like? I mean that that always fascinates me. Sure. To understand people's experiences. Yeah. So,
2: so this is different for everybody, but you know, like one of my charismatic gifts is just I kind of this minor gift of prophecy. So, mm. um, you know, I experience it as kind of a voice in my head. Mm. Um, you know, other people would you know be reading the Bible and like the words would f- you know fly off the page, and that for them would be you know, kind of the voice of God, but, yeah. um, that's, you know, th- I just hear it in as thoughts in my head, but, and let me also mention that, um, going back to, um, how the sense of God's love, if you're walking with that, that means then that your relationships with other people don't come out of, I need this other person to be something for me, mm-hmm. um, as much as, you know i can try to um i can try to be something for them
0: hmm.
2: i mean it doesn't always work but that's that's the theory yes, I, yes.
0: I hear you oh man that is i mean that that's like a worm on a hook to me that's so tempting to hmm. to dig into to that as well in terms of what you said but i'm going to try and be consistent and stick with where i want <laughs> um, for now um has that has that changed over time, this experience that you talk about, specifically the you know, hearing the words in your head or the voice or, you know, because and, and I'll give you the background to why I asked the question. I think that's only fair, because I've had a I have had, and I have had to have had, goodness me, my English is deserting me. <laughs> it's getting moved to a foreign country. Um <laughs> I have had, and I've had to have this Mm. growth of familiarity almost Mm. of becoming more, it's all sorts of things, comfortable, familiar, Mm. open, um, trusting, vulnerable around the idea of this, of this interactive relationship with God to take seriously those experiences that happen within that moment of openness. If we talk about practicing the presence of God, has has there been a uh, an evolution over time? Has there been a development? Has there been a growth of the the, the trust that you that you put in those moments and in what you hear, etc.? I don't know if, if what I'm asking makes sense um, because I've had to go through all sorts of similar questions—not similar. I've gone through all sorts of questions in my own experiences of this practice to be open to an interactive relationship. That's not just, you know, primarily internalized, if that makes sense. Can you make anything of that? Sure. <laughs> sure. So thank you. You're yeah, very kind. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So um, by the way, I love your phrase moments of openness. I think that's a good one. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, I just think we're also different on this, you know, depending on, you know, kind of, All our family history and all kinds of stuff. Um, Mm, good point. So, um, I think, I think for me, just the, the experience of, of asking God for a word and, and then Mm. I don't think that's changed really for me in, uh, probably since, you know, like decades and decades. It's it's just, you know, like it's, it's, so it goes back to my analogy of the radio station. It's like, he's talking, you know, yeah. am I going to take the time and effort to listen carefully? Um, so, yeah. um, you know, it, and I, I think, I think maybe over the years, I've become a little more confident in it, um, mm. in that um, initially I would I would be very suspicious and kind of doubt myself as to whether that was real or not Mm. Um, but it just it just seems like you know it's 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 you got to trust something and and that's that's kind of one of the things that i i trust Mm. Um.
0: and has there been change in what you're hearing Mm. has has it developed become more specific um become more tailored around your personality so again i'm battling a little bit for some of the language yeah, no, that's good um, but
2: yeah so but so i do write there it down there? yeah so it'd be interesting hmm. i do write it down so like i started writing it down maybe 15 17 years ago so it'd be interesting wow. to go back and just compare hmm. you know then and now and see if there is any difference i'm not really aware of that much difference but i do know okay. i do know that what we're able to hear God say is so conditioned by what we, what's going on in our brain. And, mm. you know, it's just like in the books you read and, 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 and that. So it's like, I'm sure it's changed over time. Cause it's, mm. it's, you know, God has to have something to go on when he talks to us and he, mm. he kind of meets us where we are. So, so yeah, I'm sure it's changed mm. over time. Mm. Awesome.
0: Thanks, Thanks for Thanks for, being willing to go down that road. Well, sure. That was really, really, really interesting. Great.
1: I, I really just want to say, like, I, um, you know, this, the season has come together with us really just taking a stab at, at Facebook guests that we've just seen off the posts of and it's gone. Let's, let's run with that. And, um, I I thoroughly enjoyed uh, reading your your book. I still need to go and uh, you know d- double chew through your PhD, and there's lots of there's lots of layers and and processes in there that uh, you know developing ideas and, and that, that you've chewed through that that naturally just doesn't come through in a, in a in a short podcast episode like this. That really doesn't do justice to the kind of depth and wrestling and research that you, that you've, that you've done. So we'll, we'll, we'll have the book link to, um, to Amazon in the show notes and that, um, as well as the other stuff that you, that, that you're doing. Um, so, so that will be there for, for anyone to pick up that, that, that that wants to, but, but it's just, it's, it's so good to read something and engage something and then get the chance to get to the person behind the book, the person behind the research and (laughs) yeah and i've i've just thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and 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 engaging you and you know i feel like uh like like i really want to come back and pick your brain on some ideas and uh, some processes in future
2: as well oh that's really kindy thank you so much i've enjoyed you guys
3: Mm.
0: yeah thanks rory thank you for being so generous and just taking a stab on us Mm. um and all our weird and wonderful questions (laughs) <clears throat> um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the response from our listenership. Just around, you know, the, one one of our ideas for this mini series is just to to dig a little deeper into open and relational theism, mm-hmm. um, and so just appreciative of what you're willing to set up there mm-hmm. around some of your thinking and the work that you've done. That's that's also been very very helpful. Great, um, I look. But I'm look with to seeing the I, series. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'm I'm with Tim. I prefer I prefer the uh, the uh, the meat of of it always to be within the personal. And so, thank you for being willing to tell some of your story.
2: Well, sure.